0: I am so excited to welcome you to season three of Angel. This is the podcast where I, Jason Calacanis, an angel investor here in the Silicon Valley who's invested in over 200 startups, interview my peers and the people who've done it longer than me to ask them the questions you as a founder or an investor want to know. How do you find deals? How do you determine who to write that check to? How do you determine if you wanna go pro rata, if you do follow on financing? What makes a venture capitalist an early stage investor, a seed investor, an angel. What makes them tick? How do they make their decisions? We've got an amazing season for you. 10 amazing investors. Some of the investors who are on this season, Matt Akko, Charles Hudson, Chris Redlitz, Christina Tsai, Dave Morin, Ryan Hoover, Mitch Kapoor, Mamoon from Kleiner, Ben Ling. It's going to be an amazing season. We're all going to learn a ton. And you can get it all at angelpodcast.com. Angel is brought to you by LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn as the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. Go to linkedin.com angel and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And Embroker. The Embroker startup program helps secure the most important lines of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. For guaranteed 10% off on premiums and up to 20%, depending on quote, go to imbroker.com slash angel. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Angel. I'm Jason Calacanis, an angel investor here in the Silicon Valley. I've made over 200 investments in startup companies. And in this podcast, which is now in its third season, welcome back, we are going to interview another 10 amazing early stage investors. Angel investing is the greatest job you could ever have. You get to sit with the most intelligent people who are the most motivated to change the world. And you get to write them a small check, maybe as small as two or $3,000 if you're going through a syndicate or ten or $25,000 if you're investing directly. And then you place 10, 20, 30 of those bets over a couple of years. And if you're like me and you're investing in the right companies, you may hit a unicorn a company worth a billion dollars, every 20, 30, 40, or 50 times you make an investment. What happens when you hit a unicorn? You might return 50 times, 100 times your money. In my case, I've hit seven of those unicorns in 200 investments. Investing is hard. You should only invest a portion of your net worth that you're willing to lose. This show is filled with great advice, but... The worst thing you can do is put all of your capital into one company. You want to be diversified. You want to invest. If I was going to you know, give my mom and dad advice or my brothers, I might say one, two, three, four, five 5% of your net worth if you're doing this and you're learning. Maybe if you're super aggressive and you got a lot of money, maybe if you're doing it full time or half time, maybe 10%, even 20% of your net worth. But be careful. Only invest what you can afford to lose and have a 10-year outlook. And the benefits of angel investing are so great. You're going to learn a lot every company is like getting an mba so if you make 10 investments it's like getting 10 mbas and in fact if my daughters came to me and said dad i don't want to go to college i don't want to spend two hundred thousand dollars on tuition i'd rather spend two hundred thousand dollars angel investing over the next five years you know what i would say let's go great decision on the podcast we like to feature people who are extraordinarily successful if you're an angel investor and you've done a dozen deals or you're a new fund manager and you want to be on this podcast, that's awesome. Thanks for emailing. Email us back and call us back in five years when you've hit as many unicorns and you've invested in as many companies as my guest today. Christine Sai, is with us, managing partner at 500 Startups. Thanks Hi. for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, how long have you been? angel investing and doing early stage investing. Obviously, 500 Startups is an accelerator slash incubator. I don't know which word you prefer.
1: Mm -hmm. For probably venture firm, but venture firm with an accelerator. Venture firm with an accelerator. Why accelerator not incubator? Well, I think people probably, I mean, people kind of use the term interchangeably, right? Um, I mean, when I think of the term incubator, I think of ideas that are homegrown in-house and potentially eventually like spun out. Mm. Um, Whereas an accelerator, you're Ideally, accelerating companies that come into the program. So, but I, I, I think a lot of people tend to use them interchangeably. But, yeah. um, yeah.
0: When did you get your start in investing?
1: It was really with the start of five hundred. Actually, I mean, I was fascinated with venture for a long time um, prior to five hundred. You know, my actually my entire career was in tech in Silicon Valley. I Actually, grew up in Silicon Valley, so I definitely was coming. Literally at it grew we, up here. Yeah, I was not born here, but um, I, it would be much easier if I could just say I was born and raised in Silicon Valley. But I. For the vast majority of my life, was was raised here in the, the Bay Area. But, Whereabouts? Um, um, in the East Bay in uh, Fremont, actually. Um, and oh, well, I grew up Where with the Tesla a, factory is now. Yes. That, yeah. That was the new me plant um, for many years. And I don't know what was there before that existed, but yeah.
0: Now it's a Tesla plant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's changed a lot here. Yes. Yes. And uh, what did you do before
1: Venture, before the founding of 500? You know, I was thinking about my, um, just my professional career, I've been in Silicon Valley for now, um, I mean, working for like almost 20 years and it's really been primarily two places. So it's not like a lot of, a lot of like the vast majority of people who are probably at, you know, startups, tech, they, you know, a couple years here, Um, you know, prior to 500, which is now nine years old at this point, I was at Google for quite a long time, Um, was there for about seven plus years. So joined in 2003 and then left in 2010 to start 500. And prior to that, nothing too eventful. It was the dot-com bust. So finding a job out of school was was pretty tough. But um, you know, it was a, definitely a very transformative period of time for Google, of course. Um, yeah.
0: And, w- was Google public at that time? No, it was pre-IPO. Yeah.
1: So I joined in 2003. So that was about a year before the IPO. And then they went wow. IPO in 2004. And it was still a pretty quiet time coming off of the bust. And yeah. um, Google was one of the few places, of course, that was was thriving and, and hiring and I just, it's funny thinking back now, it was definitely a time where, you know, tech wasn't vilified the way it is nowadays and I remember going, you know, walk down the street with a Google t-shirt and the, the types of reactions you would get from all kinds of people, it would be like, Google is this darling company, could do no wrong. Now, of course, yeah. uh, when people think of Google, Facebook and all those tech giants, it's not so, no warm fuzzy feelings, but it was just definitely a really, a really transformative time for, certainly for Google. Silicon Valley, uh, for me, it was a really special time. And as you probably know, you know, within venture and entrepreneurs, there's a lot of just really amazing people that um, were at Google during that time that I had the good fortune to, to work with or know.
0: Um, well, you know what? You either die the hero, <laughs> or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. <laughs> Batman. I don't yes. know if you remember that quote. yeah, <laughs> I, I probably butchered it, but it always stuck with me. We'll get back to that. I'm gonna put a pin in the, the vilification of Silicon Valley and how we got here. What did you do at Google? How did you get the job? Where did you go to school? What was your degree in?
1: Uh so I um literally like having been here almost my whole life I also went to school here went to uh to Berkeley um so Go Bears have to always include that in there. Um so I was there did cognitive science, which was um, kind of a nice interdisciplinary major with wow. psych and linguistics, philosophy. Um, there was a computer science angle to it, which was the hardest part for me. Um, it's, it's funny thinking about, um, especially when you think about This whole kind of dialogue around you know women and tech and Mm. um, people have different perspectives on why there's um, you know not enough. Or I had no excuse um, as (laughs) as a daughter of um, an engineer. My mom was an engineer at Intel for like thirty years, and so uh, we always had computers in our house. She was constantly you know strongly encouraging me to to learn programming and. Um, definitely, a lot of strong encouragement again um joining um, or sorry, getting accepted into Berkeley to do computer science, which um is I don't know if you know is is a really challenging major. um you yeah. have to not only apply to get into Berkeley, you then have to apply to get into that major, and it's very theoretical. I just wanted to learn how to build websites which <laughs> you don't learn at cal <laughs> no so um so I did not do computer science. I think i I dropped out of a couple of the undergraduate recs, so there was no way I would have. I didn't even try to get in. So, <laughs> um, but I, I did that. I was still very fascinated by tech. Yeah. Um, so when I graduated, of course, I was quite interested in working at a you know a dot com and a tech company, which was hard to come by. I just vividly remember one summer, I think as a junior, there was a lot of hiring. I think I got rejected from all of the startup internships I interviewed at, um, and then the following year, which is very different. It was just like nobody was hiring.
0: Um, this is two thousand three, two thousand. This is two thousand two. Two thousand two, when I graduated, so it was which very is fascinating. Uh, That's yeah. when uh, the the dot com bubble burst. Yes, and a bunch of us young kids were running around starting blogging.
1: I remember. I don't know if you. I remember you as um, one of our top AdSense publishers.
0: So, like your. Question. I was the number one <laughs> AdSense publisher for Engadget. Actually, yes. Kim. What was Kim's name? Kim Scott. Kim at, Scott. At AdSense, yeah. yeah. But what was her name before that? Kim Malone. Kim Malone. Yeah. She's now Kim Scott and she actually wrote the book Radical Candor. Yes. And yes. I have have we had her on the podcast? I don't think so, Jackie. I mean, what we bring Jackie, take a note. Uh Kim, uh Radical Candor. But I remember like it was yesterday um in the first uh IP, post IPO. Yeah. They asked us would we be featured as the independent publisher alongside the New York Times mm-hmm. in the first um, post-public quarterly report. And so they published Engadget and New York Times. And they had quotes from me and yeah. Martin Eiselholz, But we were like, Kim mm-hmm. was my rabbi at Google. And she <laughs> was like, uh, "Do you know? I said, what percentage am I getting? She said, we don't disclose that. I was like, 70%? <laughs> and she just like gave me like a little thumbs up. Oh, in terms of the rev share? Yeah. Because oh, you guys yeah. didn't disclose the rev share. Yeah, we're pretty secretive. <laughs> and at one point, I said, you're giving me 100%, aren't you? Just to make me happy. <laughs> And she gave me a little wink and put a thumbs up. Oh. And I realized that Google was paying me above what they were making mm-hmm. to have me go out and tell everybody it was okay mm-hmm. to put Google ads on your site. Because that was a big controversy yeah. for blogs, to even commercialized blogging. Yeah. Uh, all right. When we get back from this quick break, I want to hear the story of the founding of 500 Startups. And obviously, we'll address the elephant in the room, the leaving of uh, your co-founder, Dave, uh, when we get back on Angel the podcast, Every week, 22 million professionals on LinkedIn are looking at jobs. That's because LinkedIn has the most powerful job hiring function ever created. And I want to give you $50 towards your first hire by going to linkedin.com slash angel, the name of this podcast. LinkedIn.com slash angel gets you 50 bucks towards your first job posting of course terms and conditions apply we use LinkedIn jobs we hired Sir Charles and our marketing manager in Toronto both from finding them as passive job seekers on LinkedIn that's right our marketing manager in our Toronto office was on LinkedIn and she saw an ad for our position and she said wow that's an interesting position that would be an upgrade from what I'm doing right now she was not looking for a job she was what they call a passive job searcher she didn't even know she was looking for a job. But when the right one was presented, aha, aha, we got her. And it's been great ever since. Those are the people you want. The people who are currently unemployed, maybe they're unemployed for a reason. Maybe they're just getting back into the workforce. I don't mean to be cruel to anybody here. But the people who have great jobs, they may want an exceptional job. They may have a good job and they want a great one. They may have an okay one and they want a great one. You're going to at least get in front of those people and you can manage your candidate pipeline through the software there. So it's really easy to keep track of everybody. And it really is about LinkedIn's massive reach. They have 70% of the U.S. workforce is on LinkedIn. Who's not on LinkedIn? That's like not having a phone number. How do you expect to operate in the world if you're not on LinkedIn? That's just literally impossible. So go to LinkedIn.com slash Angel and solve your hiring problems today. We did. I did. I did. And I would never, and I'm being dead serious here. I would literally never try to hire for a position without putting it on LinkedIn first. Okay, linkedin.com slash angel, get the 50. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, welcome back to Angel the Podcast. I'm Jason Calacanis. And if you're watching the video, you see three copies of my book. The English version, the Japanese (laughs) version, and the Chinese version. Uh, For those of you in Estonia... Italy, Spain, or other Spanish-speaking countries, Germany, etc. Stay tuned. The book is traveling the world. And if you want to read the book, this podcast is the complement to the book, uh, where I explain a lot of my theories on early-stage investing. And you can go to angelthebook.com. This podcast can be found at angelpodcast.com or in whatever podcast player uh, you prefer. My guest today, Christine Sai. that's T-S-A-I, And you can follow her on the Twitter, Christine underscore TSAI. is a managing partner of 500 Startups. Did you co-found 500? Tell me about the origins of 500 Startups.
1: So I was at Google, you know, we talked earlier um, for for a long time and probably, you know, midway in. um, I just started to become, I don't even know how, like really interested in, Kind of VC, and it was a pretty opaque, you know, pr- opaque industry back then. Mm. One of the few that really actively blogged about it at the time was, um, there was just a handful. But Fred Wilson was probably one of the ones that sure. I remembered, and I didn't even think about the, you know, the the, the concept, and probably the concept didn't exist back then, like unicorns and like returning the fund and like all this, all you know, all that, all that stuff that was more related to the actual fiduciary part of it. Um, to me, VC was. Uh, a, an opportunity to, to work with companies really early. I'd done that and had been doing that more on the Google side, um, worked a lot with the the publisher side, as well as developer, developer tools. And by and large, a lot of those users were startups or entrepreneurs. And so to me, that was pretty fascinating. Definitely was looking at it much more from the product tech angle versus, again, the, the investment side of it. So I just, I think, found ways to try to weave it into my day job at Google. I was on the product marketing side, whether it was like inviting Fred to come talk at one of our speaker series, um, you know, asking the companies that we were working with for um, connections to their advisors or angels, just more because I was fascinated. And that's actually how I met my co-founder, Dave, when I was at YouTube. There was a company that I was working with on the YouTube APIs. They, think, back when the YouTube APIs were pretty limited in what they could do. <laughs> Nowadays, I think it's a different story. Um, asked for an intro, um, and, you know, he was probably one of many different VC connections that I had made just on my own. There were certainly a lot of ex-Googlers that had gone on into venture. Um, and, you know, 2010, I decided, you know, I think I'm I'm ready to leave Google. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that venture was interesting, but, you know, it's not the type of job you go apply for. And I had actually... Um, gone to a couple firms you know through the kind of interview process and got rejected from them all and um, a lot of the feedback that i got was you know venture is kind of a an industry where you know you you either start right out of college or you join after having been a successful entrepreneur there's a little bit of the feedback of well you know if you're a woman in venture you kind of have to be like really really aggressive with a kind of indirect indirect um feedback that you're you're kind of like not aggressive enough or you're kind of too quiet so um so to me it was just sort of like this pine
0: in the sky maybe someday but i don't know but um and 2010 maybe one percent of partners at firms were female probably yeah, yeah. kleiner curious. being the one place that had a large number of all-stars at that time yeah paradoxically yeah uh, given yeah. what happened with alan Uh but they did seem to be the one firm that embraced it mm-hmm. um so Dave asked you to be his co-founder, or he had started and then pulled you in. What was the history of that? When when did he mm-hmm. uh, bring you into all this? So I,
1: I believe he had actually started, I mean, you know, this probably precedes even 2010. I think it was maybe 2008. From My memory's a little fuzzy, but you know, obviously 2008 was a great time to start a fund. But The financial crisis. Um, <laughs> so, so Everybody I think go that, home. <laughs> exactly. So I think that kind of, you know, pause. And then 2010, he was starting to try to raise the first fund. It was still had no name, nothing. And, you know, when I was going through my my journey to try to figure out what am I going to do if I leave Google? I'd already made up my mind I want to leave. Um, you know, he was one of uh, a few, you know, coffee conversations I had. And um, the timing just seemed to be pretty good. Like he I, I remember that meeting. He was very cool. And I was telling him, I've made up my mind. I want to leave Google. I know I want to do I'm interested in venture. I'm also kind of exploring other opportunities. What advice you, did you have? I didn't know anything about him raising this fund. And. Um, you know, we would stay in contact after we had initially got introduced because I would help him with like Google stuff and this and that. But it wasn't um, it wasn't like a it's not like we were, you know, the the prototypical like best friends, you know, yeah. knew each other for our entire lives. Um, but, you know, when I told that to him, he was kind of like, you hey, he caught me at a good time. You know, I'm working on this fund. And um, in hindsight, when I think back, I think, wow, I, I basically left my 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 job at Google, which was you know, obviously it was, it was great. It was fine. It was great. Um, to go start something new with some guy who I, I, I know. Okay. But you know, it's not like the fund was even off the ground yet. So in hindsight, I think, wow, that was pretty like stupid or bold, (laughs) bold. I would say bold. Bold, Okay. Yeah. My, yeah. yeah, My parents were very worried, but you know, that's how you're Korean. Yeah. Korean Asian parents are, um, they they always want, you know, what's, what's, what's secure and safe,
0: but yeah. um, yeah. And you're not a doctor. So you (laughs) broke their hearts. Interestingly, I
1: don't, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. engineer's probably the one. I was gonna say like, like, probably, they're probably not like most stereotypical parents. They never oh. really pushed the doctor route, um, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so the word I heard was you were the bedrock, the foundation of 500. You actually did all the work. You did the foundational stuff and got stuff done. Dave was obviously out there being the hype man, was a bit of a maniac, uh, maybe drank a little bit too much in my experience with him. Mm -hmm. And obviously um, to his own admission was uh, inappropriate many times. I know you don't want to, I don't think we need to rehash the whole thing here because it's been rehashed. But you wound up taking over 500 Mm -hmm. after his departure. How did you deal with the revelation of his indiscretions him being your partner, and how did 500 Startups survive all this? Because based on what I heard, 500 Startups was going to shut down. And it was like on teetering on this is the end. And so how did you save it? Or how is it saved? And what what can we expect going forward? Well, I think when you you know
1: when I when when I look at five hundred now and even back then when you know this is like a year and a half ago at this point, um, I think it's important to remember that five hundred uh, is always and maybe it wasn't so visible in the early days, but um, you know it was always really about um, a very strong mission and the mission that we had was that founders exist all around the world. They need help creating great companies, and not only do we care about seeking out and discovering these amazing founders in, you know, whether it's in Mexico City or India or Malaysia or Los Angeles, um, that that talent exists everywhere. And not only does that talent exist everywhere, there are many places outside of Silicon Valley that will become um, not like Silicon Valley, but they also will grow and flourish into what everyone wants to be Silicon Valley for. So a lot of people look at Silicon Valley and think, oh, we have to have that mindset, but... Um, you know, over the past nine years, as 500 is so global, when we look at these different markets, of course, they're not exactly like Silicon Valley. In fact, if if we had the mindset that they need to be exactly like the Valley, then it's a bit of a, um, you know, does, doesn't do justice to what's special about that market, that culture and yeah. all the cultural nuances. So so to me, that was really what was most important, that 500 was really this brand that has now today helped more than 2,000 companies around the world. We're talking about-
0: When you say you know, helped, invested in
1: yeah, invested in actually yeah. like put money into these companies. Um, what when does that a lot put you do.
0: versus say? Sorry to interrupt. where does that put you versus Y Combinator and TechStars in terms of the number of companies invested in? Do you know?
1: Um, you know, in terms of the number, I, I don't know what their their numbers are. Um, I, I know for five hundred, um, you know, it's, it's about twenty two hundred companies to date since two thousand ten that we've actually invested in, and the portfolio right now is like just shy of 50% outside the U.S. Amazing. And I think even from the early days, I actually remember it as kind of a uh, a knock against us in some in some cases where people would comment, 500 has a lot of international companies, as if it was sort of second tier. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, when you look at even, everyone loves the term unicorn, but when you look at that, you know, the unicorn companies, since that's what everyone kind of salivates over, You know, now it's, I think it's getting close to 50% of them are from outside the US, and that number is just going to increase. And, you know, even for our own portfolio, we have about 10 that we publicly disclose, or others that are unicorn status, but we don't, um, they're not public about it. Even for those, like our, we're kind of trending that as well. Like our, we have about half of those are outside the US. Um, So it's, it's pretty, for us, like in this kind of next phase of 500, we already have been known to invest globally, and that's what a lot of people know us for. We really want to lean in there um, in terms of our global approach, kind of capturing all that value we've built over the past nine years. Um, and I guess you know, going to your earlier question about you know, like Dave and everything, you know, it's not really something that is um, you know, it's it's. I don't really talk about it too much, just because it is. It, it was definitely a very, to say it was a, I guess, a painful time in um, in my life is kind of an understatement. So, um, but it has to you know, be the worst. Part of your life. I think yeah. Certainly I mean, professionally to date. Professionally, yeah, I will. I will. Actually, you know, even personally, I mean, Personal. you say professionally, personally, but you know, this is, um, you know, it was just, I guess what I'll leave it with is it was a very painful period. So I don't really Why didn't you um, quit?
0: enjoy talking about it. But. I, I, I assumed mm-hmm. you would quit. You're in demand, <laughs> you have tremendous experience. You could. It's much different to 2018, 2017, 2018, 2019. It's a much different market than when you went out to look for a venture job in 2010. I know for a (laughs) fact that the top 10 venture firms, half of them would hire you in a heartbeat. Why did you stay and deal with trying to save 500 rather than doing what I might have done, which is said, you know what? I'm going to go hang out at Sequoia or Benchmark or (laughs) Chamaths or Craft Ventures or pick a firm and you know drink blue bottle chicory iced <laughs> coffee for 6 dollars a pop and not deal with this nonsense why didn't uh, you quit christine what was it
1: i think the the mission of 500 is just way too important to let it die and i think you know dave dave leaving was is obviously huge um i just i just i don't think i could have done that um not to say there weren't times where i just felt like like I don't know what I'm going to do. This is like I can't handle this. And but you know, ultimately, I felt like there's so many people, our team, you know, our our investors, our founders. That um, I just felt like I had this very strong sense of loyalty. That like someone had to be here. Um, and you know, even to this day, I think you know it's been about a year and a half, two years. Um, I'm actually really excited about what the future holds for us going forward. Like this year and even next five, ten years doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And like, in fact, it's going to be far from easy. But I feel like, um, you know, I think back to like what what the, the ethos and the mission is of 500 and just everything that I think this this actually becomes more evident every time I have a conversation with a founder. When I talk with founder from the past accelerator batch or that we invested in, maybe they were from a market where. Entrepreneurship is shunned, or who knows. But um, those are always the best reminders. Where mm-hmm. they they think you know, five hundred was there for me. Like they they were the first one that believed in my company. Um, you know, it, it's it's this mission is just too important for like no one else is going to do this but us. And I felt like it was just that that plus that sense of duty. I just um, it, it didn't cross my mind saying ah oh, peace out guys I'm leaving. But um, yeah. just because like it just, I think it's
0: admirable. I mean. It, literally, if it was me, I would have just been like, this <laughs> is nonsense. Your blue bottle. I didn't create this nonsense. Bring on the chicory blue bottle. I'm out. <laughs> um, I'm going to take four weeks off and, over Christmas and four weeks off over the summer and just join a big venture firm. <laughs> Paradoxically, um, the firm was what percentage female led? So I guess it's, if you look at the yeah. top positions, I always was amazed by the no, the amount of female leadership at your firm. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Half? A third?
1: Well, the investment partners, I believe it's actually, if you include all of our like my folks like myself, our partner, Beggy who's um, also part of the leadership, and um, a lot of our general partners who run the various funds around 500, um, I believe it, it's about a third. Um, wow. And then in terms of the leadership, it's... I don't think it's half. It's close to half, like maybe 40%. And
0: um, you index that against maybe low single digits in venture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're probably yeah. 5, 6x.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And 26% of the companies invested in yeah. by 500 startups are led by women. women. Yeah. How did you hit that high of a number? Did it take a specific amount of work or effort or was it that female leadership drew in female leadership? I want you to answer that question when we get back from this quick break. One of the most important things for you to do for your startup is to have insurance. I don't know if you've been through this before, but I have. Errors and omission, and cyber. That means if you get attacked and you get hacked, which everybody's uh, unfortunately experiencing these days, and DNO. You've heard DNO. You've heard your investors throwing around. What does it mean? Directors and officers. That means the people on your board are covered in case the company gets sued because of a cyber attack or an HR issue, whatever it is. You need to have errors and omissions. You need to have DNO, and you need to have cyber. Well, the broker startup program helps start us do this and I went through it with the founder. It is so easy. You just take a couple of minutes, you answer a couple of very easy to do questions, and you will get your insurance priced out immediately. You'll have access to 50 of the top carriers and in brokers proprietary insurance policies. It's white glove service from expert brokers who specialize in high growth companies like yours. So you can instantly build your custom insurance right now and you'll save up to 20% if you go to embrokercom slash angel. That's E-M and then the word broker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash angel. Broker.com slash angel. You need to get all this stuff dialed in. You need to do it right. Maybe you've been growing fast and you didn't get this set up because you're too busy. Well, it's time to take a pause and go to embroker.com/angel, get that cyber insurance going. Hey, they even do things like cannabis and other insurance. Go to their website, you'll see it all at embroker.com/angel. Instantly buy that DNO, ENO cyber coverage in minutes, not weeks. That's the big thing here. Not only do you save money with embroker, but you're going to save weeks and months of nonsense waiting for brokers to call you back and give you a quote and they probably bait and switch you and charge you too much. So use embroker.com Slash Angel, hey everybody! Welcome back to Angel the podcast. You can visit us at Angel Podcast. My guest today, Christine Sime, the managing partner of 500 Startups. How many people work at 500 now across how many countries?
1: So our team represents I think more than I I could be off on this even, but like more than 20 countries around the world. But our team is um, you know worldwide is about I believe 100 120 or so. Wow! Uh,
0: How much under management and how much money is uh, are you responsible for having deployed?
1: We have a bit over 450 in, we say committed capital, sure. people under management, um, but that's across all of our funds. Got yeah. it. Yeah.
0: And over 2,000 investments. Right. 10 known unicorns. Intercom, amazing. Did they go through the program or was that a direct investment?
1: Uh, direct investment, but TalkDesk actually went through the program. And then right. um, uh, Twilio, SendGrid, Credit Karma, Canva. And a couple of the international ones, like I mentioned. Actually, Canva. Canva Canvas, went through the program? Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Uh, Canva was a direct investment. Direct investment yeah. in Sydney. Uh, yes. And then uh, Grab, uh, Bukalapak, and then a couple others. I always, it's always a game I play. Can I remember all 10? But um, yeah. since I'm on the Bullapak, spot with Jason. GitLab,
0: <laughs> Grab, Canva, exactly. Revolution, desk, karma, well, he's credit, reading off of Karma, <laughs> Credit Karma, Sangre, Twilio, Intercom. I got them all.
1: Yay. Perfect.
0: Um, just do what I do. Tattoo them on your arm. Oh, that's a good idea. I can yeah, I'm going to have yeah. sleeves of unicorn logos on my <laughs> arms. Hey, when we left, uh, our hero, that's you, Christine, uh, I was asking you about attracting female founders. Famously, uh, some folks have said there's a bit of a pipeline problem. It's hard to find the female founders. Um, was that true 10 years ago, five years ago? Is it true today? Mm-hmm. How do you think about the number of female founders and finding those female founders?
1: It's definitely... I would say a combination of things. So a lot of people will focus, you know, have tunnel vision on a specific aspect of the problem and say it's a pipeline problem. None of girls are interested in tech or whatever. Like, I I don't believe that. Um, Or they'll say that um, it's, you know, needing to have women on the other side of the table to look at, you know, female founders and attract them. And then, you know, there's probably like 10 other reasons as to why it is the state that it is. But I believe that certainly like a big aspect of it is proactively reaching out to these founders. And this is not just limited to female founders. It's certainly underrepresented founders. Look at the intersection of the two underrepresented minority female founders. And, you know, and and you're you're a very savvy investor. You've been doing this a long time. Great deals don't come to you. You have to go actively out and scouting them, and yeah. we think the same thing about the companies that we invest in. Sure, we we do have an open application process for the accelerator. Um, we certainly get a lot of inbound deals from our network, but it's really up to us to be going out and actively scouting these companies. And the more that we proactively go out and try to source deals from you know network or pool of of applica- or sorry pool of um applicants that are female founders or again, you know, underrepresented minorities, then the more likely, of course, that our portfolio will be diverse. Um, it's interesting, the question about, is it, do you need to have women and, you know, uh, investors um, who are you know, underrepresented minorities to help increase that? I think, yes, definitely. There's, it's, it's clear that when you do have that diverse perspective on the investment side of the table, that oftentimes does translate into a more diverse portfolio. Yeah. But I'd also like to think that, um, you know, if it was like two white guys at a firm, they should be able to invest in diverse companies too. So it's it's kind of an, I always kind of feel torn with that question. It's like saying the only way you can really have empathy and want to understand a, a female founder or a business that targets maybe demographics you don't understand that you have to be that person. And I'm like, well, I that may be some of the reality, of course. Um, I'd like to think also that, People who aren't that could also see the value. You yeah, know I mean? you would
0: think. you
1: think, but I well, think But the as statistics t- didn't exactly. show that. Exactly. And the statistics
0: yeah. show the opposite, which it, is Aileen Lee or yourself yep. or yep. Cyan. Maybe people feel more comfortable. Yep. Certainly Arlen Hamilton from. Um, yes, yes. Uh, backstage, it, yeah. uh, which has had her own struggles, which we all have as investors. Raising funds is hard. Um, Does 500 require that you have multiple co-founders, like Y Combinator does, and do you require that there be developers Mm -hmm. as founders?
1: We've actually invested in a lot of companies that have single founders, so it's not a requirement. I think what we do like to see is that if you're a single founder, obviously it's it's quite a a task. So for all the other responsibilities, do you have a team, or is it really just like literally one person? But, Mm. you know, we've had, again, we've had a number of companies where it's a single founder, There have been cases where it was a, you know, the founders were not technical. We're not huge. I mean, I know I'm personally not a huge fan of the uh, non-technical founders and then they outsource everything to, you know, contractors that they've never met. So that's a little bit... Scary. um, A little bit iffy for me, but um, if they at least have technical talent that's in-house, it doesn't have to be a CTO. It could Mm -hmm. be an engineer or something. um, Then that that helps address that with, with hopefully the intention that down the line they do recruit a CTO or you know lead engineer.
0: Do you think Y Combinator having that rule, you have to be developers basically, you have to have multiple ones, do you think that resulted in a lack of diversity? Because if there are less mm-hmm. female founders or people of color who are developer founders versus mm-hmm. sales founders, product founders, you're mm-hmm. a product person, I'm a product person, designer founders like the Airbnb who actually yeah. did go to there. Do you think that was that actually reduces diversity? I kind of think that was like the leak in the game over there.
1: Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to say, but I, I think definitely when you're thinking about how do you access more diverse companies and deal flow, you have to think about like how do you look at wh- what are your what are your criteria for like what makes for a good company. So mm-hmm. if it is like let's say you have this mindset that has to be technical founders or that they have to have gone to a certain school. You know part of the the challenge is questioning like, really? Like, are you sure? like is that really the case? because you know we've had number of companies that we've invested in that have gone on to be successful that that didn't fit that prototype of yeah. what a founder should look like. So um I know that uh, it's it's something, you know, whether it's the requirement is what school you went to or that, they have to be hackers or technical. I mean, um, you know, how that impacted YC or others. I mean, I'm, I'm not one to comment, of course, yeah. but I do know that when you you try to expand your mind of like what could be possible for being a great founder, then of course, it's going to open up the opportunities and you'll start to see companies that you might not have previously considered that are equally like great um, or even, you know, going beyond the founders, the the demographics that those customers are, or sorry, the demographics that the founders are targeting, um, and it could be an audience that you really have no um, insight into, mm. that you wouldn't have considered, that um, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, just going back to like, what is it that makes for a successful founder? Our, our, our history over the past nine years is, it's, it's a pretty diverse set. Let's get into that.
0: What, in your personal experience, mm-hmm. do you think makes for a successful founder?
1: To me, it's, it's less about the, the specific tactics of, again, like pedigree or what they've done. I mean, of course, what they've done is certainly helpful. But I think in working with so many founders over the years, and some of this, you, you, it's hard to pick up from an initial, like an hour or two hour cup, a cup of coffee at the blue bottle. or, yeah. <laughs> um, But we certainly see this when we work with founders, especially through the accelerator. One is definitely speed. So, you know, how quickly do they move when they say they're going to do something? How accountable are they? You know, there's a number of founders that we've, we've seen that, you know, they, they do something, they do it. Um, they move fast, not recklessly, but they move quickly. They learn, they keep going. A lot of it is just about moving forward and building. So mm. really kind of speed at which they execute. Um, second is what you might not consider is how how open to feedback or how coachable they are. Mm. And so I think a lot of founders might think, I got to be like, you know, asshole founder thinks yep. I'm great and doesn't listen I'm to anybody. I'm CEO, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be like, I don't know.
0: It's funny. I had somebody so. <laughs> on the podcast. I'm trying to remember who who met with Mark Zuckerberg early on, and she was female. Oh. And he handed her the card. I'm oh. CEO, bitch. <laughs> and it was like, oh no, <laughs> wow. If there was anything indicative of the aughts here in Silicon Valley, it would probably be that moment. Yeah. It was Katerina yeah. Fake. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? I mean, listen, Zuckerberg was a dipshit when he was a kid. He yeah. might still be, but <laughs> he was a total dipshit when he was a kid. And yeah. I mean, talk about being clueless. Like,
1: Yeah. And the thing is, like, those are what, you know, of course, those are the outliers, and that's what's held up as being successful. But I, I feel like those types of founders and personalities, I mean, my humble opinion, they became successful despite that attitude, not because they were that way, and yeah. uh, but unfortunately, because you know the, the few that rose up, th- those are held up as like this is what you got to be like. So everyone right. thinks I got to be an asshole CEO and and have all this arrogance and and like act like I know everything when you yeah. really don't know that much. Um, so what you're
0: saying yeah. is, if I could recap, it may cor it may correlate <laughs> that some people are assholes who succeeded, <laughs> but it may not be causation, causation. exactly. <laughs> yeah, because correlation. You know what's fascinating? Yeah. I just realized I went to school for computer science and then quickly changed to psychology. Oh. What was it about psychology you found more appealing than computer science?
1: Well, I wish I had a nice answer. I think a lot of it was well, I, I clearly was not going to be able to get into computer science at Berkeley with oh. the, the grades I had for the under undergraduate recs, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you drop a couple classes. So yeah. You're not going to get in. But, um, but I think, you know, CogSci was interesting because it was so interdisciplinary. There was a combination of psych, neuropsych, um, there was an AI element before AI was a thing. Yeah, I mean, like a thing here. Um, linguistics, philosophy, and it was, it was I think, a r- relatively new major at the time. I think um, the equivalent at other schools, I don't know if it's called cogni. I know at Stanford it's um, symbolic systems, but, um, hmm. but I liked it because, um, actually, the part I really liked about cognitive science was actually more the neuro hmm. aspect of
0: it. But What's going on in your um, brain when you yeah, make decisions? Was,
1: yeah, well, I think it was more medical. I think, I, to uh. me, it was much more comforting to know if you have a lesion in your brain, that's what's causing this, you know, aphasia, not, um, you know, what could it have been about all, all the different theories on why you have certain, um, you know, people suffer from certain mental disorders, yeah. which to me was Your was childhood, hard. yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you don't easier always easier to know. know it's your brain yeah. and chemicals. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think with, you know, it's interesting you switched. Sort of similar to me, I mean, without all the nuance, but yeah, I went from um CS to cog which is pretty close to psych and yeah um yeah i mean there's there's definitely like if you forget that at the end of the day with everything with investing founders it, like everything behind it they're humans right? yes so you cannot discount the human element
0: right well and interestingly these... the two things you said the two things you mentioned as being correlated with success for founders the mm-hmm. speed of execution and um being open to feedback and you also mm-hmm. mentioned as part of the speed to execution saying what you're going to do and doing what you would you say mm-hmm. which is accountability mm-hmm. accountability and being open to feedback or on a cognitive basis would show mm-hmm. maturity yeah. self-awareness yes and these are the things that i found can also be super helpful yeah like if you're trying to be a leader to be aware of what the other person is experiencing, what should angel investors coming to a demo day at 500 Startups or anywhere else and evaluating companies, what should they look at? If your mom or cousin or brother, sister, whatever, said, I'm getting into angel investing Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, I got tickets to all the demo days. I'm going to (laughs) Launch Accelerator, I'm going to 500, I'm going to Techstars, I'm going to My Combinator, I'm going to Pair, what would you tell them to do? Just between us, uh, and don't just ignore the 200,000 <laughs> people, everyone listening and the 200, people <laughs> who are going to listen to this episode, what would you tell them to not invest in, to not fall for, and what would you tell them to focus on? I mean, I would,
1: yeah, I mean, I would definitely tell them that, I mean, my, my advice would be to use Demo Day as a chance to get a feel for, like, maybe what con- companies are interesting. Um, but if, it, if you're talking about first-time angel investors, I certainly wouldn't advise like drop a check at Demo Day, which is like the, you know, fantasy, like I got it all my, my I r- raised my entire round of Demo Day. Everyone was throwing money at me. I'm like, that's not how it works. Um, and if it is, then you shouldn't take their money because they don't know what they're doing. Um, the thing is with, as you know, with angel investing, it's it's so early that, you know, you're not going to diligence a company for five months to decide on a 25K, 50K check. So, um, But what I would advise is certainly Demo Day is useful to, to kind of, it's really like Good chance to network with other investors, kind of see what's maybe some sense of like what's relevant and see the companies. But of, of course, everybody looks good at demo day, right? Like yeah. everybody pitches fantastically, um, up you know, into the right, polished. Uh, yeah. Very, very coincidentally, everyone is up into the right, growing 20% month over month and um, all hmm. that stuff. So, um, but it really is like, you know, there is some showmanship there, but I think it's still a good chance to see all the companies, what they're working on. And then definitely go approach the founders and try to get a meeting with them and and have that time, not a demo day where it's crazy and kind of like a lot of noise, um, but have the time to spend one on one with them and to see how they interact with you, how they explain what they're doing um, and some aspects about how they follow up and how they treat investors, um, I think says a lot about says a lot about the founder. but. Maybe in, you know, if they're with an accelerator, potentially it says something about like what they're being coached in terms of how to treat investors. And I think right. that's something that um, angels may not, uh, newer angels may not already know. Like a kind of old, you know, crotchety been through war angels um, like yourselves, like not that you're old, but no, um, I you am. Know. I'm 48 and I'm, yeah.
0: I'm not going to fall for nonsense. Like literally when <laughs> exactly. I go to Y Combinator Demo Day or when I did go, I haven't gone in a couple of years when I would go, I would have people send me mm-hmm. I there was like the little app where you say you're interested in the company, so I picked the, like the five handshake. the handshake thing. Oh, okay, but, yeah. but I would just say I'm interested in the company, right? And like literally, I would get replies back. How much would you like to invest? And then one time mm-hmm. I got a hundred thousand dollar note sent to me in DocuSign, and I went to my like, chief of staff, with this. and I was like, <laughs> "What is this like company?" I'm a, do they have like a corporate name that's different than their product name right. or something? You know how that happens sometimes or Acme Ventures mm-hmm. but they make a product yeah. called Pinterest or something and you're just like, <laughs> okay, wait, wait, I'm missing something here and then I went to the founder and they said, no, I can't figure this out. We searched, we can't find this DBA doing business as and I asked the founder, I was like, did we speak? I'm sorry. I can't remember. <laughs> I like, no, no, I. but I read that your average check size is 100 so I thought I would get you it the documents you as quick as I help you along and literally Michael Siebold at Y Combinator told people that great investors the opposite of what you're saying Don't think about it. Shut up and send their money and move quickly and don't think about returns. Just think about, this is literally what Michael Siebel said at their angel thing. It's like the worst advice I've ever heard. Just think about how great it will be to brag when you put a 250 k check into a company. And I was just like, this is terrible advice. And I realized everything Y Combinator does is adversarial with investors. They consider them like... And I think it's because Paul Graham kind of had bad investors. And, you know, when you have this top down thing, they just look at like this adversarial relationship. So I advise investors like don't go to demo. Don't go to Y Combinator Demo Day. If you do, just go to network. And at Y Combinator Demo Day, don't feel any pressure because literally the last 20 companies I met said they were closing their rounds. Mm -hmm. And I would set up a meeting And and they'd say, well, we're closing before then. Oh. And I'd be like, well, this is, I, I don't have time to meet with in the next two weeks. I, you know, I'm busy. I'm Jason Calacanis. Like, n- n- no offense, but like, I can't meet with you tomorrow. <laughs> you know no. Yeah, but it was, li- no, yeah. but I mean, literally, just, like, like logistic- I'm a busy guy. Like, like, like- Logistically, yeah. Logistically, like- I'll give give you my assistant's email. We'll set up a time. Like, that time might be 10 days from now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we're going to be closed by then. And I was like, I just read back, okay. And in every instance, mm-hmm. they're not closed. Interesting. And in one instance, they said to me, oh, Jason, um, yeah, we're raising at a $10 million valuation, and we're raising $2 million, blah, 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 safe, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, who's the who's leading the round? How much do you have closed? And they're mm-hmm. like, well, we got like a million, and um, you're leading. I'm like, I'm leading? He's <laughs> like, yeah, that's our dream is you to lead. I was like, oh, that's very complimentary, but who set the prices for uh... this? And they're like, well, we just came up with the $10 million price. I'm like, how did you come up with this price, $10 million? <laughs> and they said something to the effect of like, well, my friend went last year and he got like a $9 million, So I wanted to beat his this, $9 million oh. with a $10 million valuation. And I was Interesting. like, really? Oh, oh that's unfortunate. Mm. And uh, I said, you know what? If I was going to set the price on this, it would be $5 million. <laughs> So or four. And I don't even know if I would invest. I'd probably wait to see if you could actually yeah. keep these customers for more than two months. Yeah. Um, so somewhere between five months of hand-wringing and five minutes at a demo day is the magic number for you of where you should invest
1: yeah what do you need
0: to know how many meetings should you have in your mind if you were advising again your mom your cousin somebody you care about deeply what would you advise them in terms of a process meetings questions i mean i know
1: yeah i mean i know for me like even early on within 500 where um you know for again like it it was it was relatively new for me like it was it was really like one one meeting tended to be enough like Mm -hmm. if i had a follow-up it might have been um i don't know like it occasionally but um so i i would say that definitely no more than two if you're going on to like three meetings i don't really know why it's like overkill for a
0: 25k check or a 10k check, yeah. or 50k check. Yeah, yeah
1: for a for a small check like that, it's just it's not worth it. Um I, I mean everyone has their different perspectives on on the investing angle. And um I do on one hand, I do I do appreciate that when we, we teach our founders on how to fundraise because many of them are pretty clueless about it because it's not like they go have done fundraising before whereas we see it all the time maybe yeah. albeit on the other side of the table that there is some element of a sales process where you want to create urgency now how much urgency you create to the point of like kind of stretching the truth I don't know but um, lying like lying like lying is not good but I mean I do appreciate like setting you know some sort of timeline and all that stuff but again I think how you do it, it how you execute on that is is um, you know I, I don't know if I agree with that approach, but, yeah. um, but yeah, if it was a new angel investor and, um, you know, they're trying to figure out how do we, you know, how many meetings do we have? Do we ask for their like five-year plan and financials? I like, no, like they what's don't, your, that doesn't exist. Like, what's at your this point.
0: favorite question to ask a founder when you're in that one hour meeting? You have like some go-to questions, a favorite one that reveals a lot
1: one one question that seems to stump them because it's not so much about like what's your market like you know this and that and your metrics. It's like why are you doing this? Like what? Wh- why? Like why? Why? Are you, why are you starting this company? Mm-hmm. It kind of reveals. It's it's a pretty open ended question. Yeah. Some of them just say because the opportunity is great and that doesn't really excite me. But if I can get a sense of like why is it that they're taking all this risk and capital probably and the stress to start a company because as you know starting a company is like. Is um is not for the faint of heart. Like, why are they doing that for for this purpose? Like, yeah. um, you know, and I know in some cases it's not going to be a beautiful, magical answer because I don't know anyone who has this really you know tug at the heartstrings uh, emotional story about starting like a, a SaaS company. I don't mm. know. <laughs> um, but I'd like to hear, understand like why are you like why now like why why are you the team to do it? Yeah. Um, because some of the answers they reveal there, it, it's it's eye opening. Um yeah. And the other the other aspect is trying to get a sense of, do they really understand who their customer is? Mm. Um, you know, I've had experiences where clearly the founders are maybe chasing a market or they're kind of like, this is cool. Like, let's try it out. Um, but when I ask them questions about their customer, their target target user, they, they seem to, there, there are a lot of gaps there. Mm. And so to me, if you don't really understand who you're serving, because ultimately as a founder, you're building a business to help serve a customer, you should care about them, yeah. then that's not a great signal.
0: So uh what's we'll we'll wrap up with this i got two i'm gonna wrap up with number one what an amazing portfolio what an amazing career congratulations on that all that now it's time for the pain and suffering tell me the company you passed on that to this day (laughs) you felt that one the one i saw it in your eye (laughs) the the painful one the one that got away oh this reminds me i um i'll send
1: it to you after this i wrote this Set a satire blog post of eight things to do to appear like an important VC, and mm-hmm. one of them was lamenting about the deals you passed on because sure. you know you can say, "Oh, I passed on Uber, ah, oh, punch in the face," but it's sort of a humble brag, like
0: I got a sure. chance. To look yeah, <laughs> no. I, I was in the uh, meeting. Yeah, yeah, sure. like, yeah. I was uh, talking to Elon, and he offered me to be in Tesla, I and I didn't and do I, it. Yeah, true I, story.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was he was a little rude, and he stared at me funny. So I no, know I invest- wasn't an
0: angel investor at the <laughs> time. I was giving him advice on. VCs.
1: Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I don't
0: angel invest. I'm investing in my own thing, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, dumb think. idiot.
1: Um, I know that I I passed on Stitch Fix. Oh, but the thing is, I never actually got to meet Katrina because Ooh. I was on maternity leave, and Ooh. there were some wires crossed. But I'm like, it was so close. Oh, <laughs> so so Stitch my Fix God. is a painful one
0: um the female founder unicorn she is amazing amazing yeah. as a person like when you hear her speak and ooh, there were some wires crossed wish i was that smart and considered yeah she seems to me to be like the xeno warrior prince of Zeno- the ceo <laughs> crowd like she is just a badass yeah she's who i want to be when i grow up me but- that's exactly what i was thinking i was like <laughs> Why has she not been on the show? Emmy award-winning producer Jackie, if you get her on the show, I will give $1,000 to you or the charity of your choice. Emmy award-winning Jackie. Jackie, I'm putting a $1,000 bounty on this family. <laughs> it's done.
1: Yeah. yeah. Jackie, I'll give you
0: $1,000 in cash or give it to a charity of your choice if you get her in the next year. <laughs> Jackie's looking at me like, oh That's my to god." That's going be more this.
1: challenging in the next six months. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, next year. I give next her, I, I always like the term paper. Like, oh, you know, yeah. give because then you can, then maybe they'll cram in the last two or three weeks, but we mm, got the date right true. now. That's
1: true, then nothing will happen until the last. Oh,
0: month. I got an even better one.
1: Yeah,
0: Jackie, if you get the CEO of Stitch Fix on the podcast, I will give everybody on the company a work from home day. <laughs> no pressure, that's 15 work from home, that's what everybody covets, the work <laughs> from home day over uh, Christmas. I will, even better, I'll wow. give, yes, I will give everybody over the Christmas break a work from home day. So everybody at launch, tell Jackie, forget the $1,000, it off the table. That's 15 days to work from home. Charles, <laughs> like a little peer pressure here, huh? Okay. It was super awesome to walk down the street with a Google logo, and now yeah. it's a disaster. It, people find out I'm an investor at Uber. They're like, like why do you hate people? I'm like- Why do you hate people? I'm like- hate people. Or is it a horrible person. Well, no, I mean it's it's fascinating to me. There are a million drivers driving for Uber and Lyft mm-hmm. and everything and they're like they're getting paid $1 an hour. I'm like, do you really think people would be going to like they take one receipt mm-hmm. that's like a mistake at Uber or Lyft where yeah. it's like something went wrong and they credited the person with $10 or you know and they're like, look, Uber made $4 on this ride and the driver made $2 and that was the only ride they had that hour, therefore they made $2 for that hour. Yeah. It's like, that's not how it works. You yeah. don't get paid for your 40 minutes of wait time when you're reading a book in this model. Mm-hmm. I am not advocating people make $2 an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nor are those people making $2 an hour or they would not be on the app. They would take right. the job working something else, at yeah. the Apple store or Target or Starbucks, which are looking for people to make $14 an hour. So how could those people drive right. when they could work in the Apple store for $12 or $14 an hour? It's obviously, they're not doing that. Is this gonna end? Do we deserve this hate? What can we do better?
1: I mean, part of me thinks it's just it's it's natural in terms of the the life cycle of of tech. I mean, obviously tech is not a new thing. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but just mm-hmm. kind of this this phase of technology and and startups and venture, um, and just the way Silicon Valley is. To me, I'm a little bit, you know, I've again lived here my whole life, so it's hard for me to tell, but um, you know, there's all this reaction of like, I, you know, Silicon Valley is awful. San Francisco is awful. It's expensive. And yeah, it is expensive. And people want to go off, you know, and live in somewhere else and Portland or Seattle, which is probably going to turn into San Francisco because everyone's... Oh exodus. yeah, no, no. <laughs> there's an exodus, but... The nature of cities. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think it's inevitable just begin, because again, you know, tech had such a ride and we'll probably continue to still have that for mm-hmm. such a long time. And, um, you know, anytime something is, is on that kind of up into the right path, there's always um you know there's there's it's not gonna be perfect right and you probably see this we've seen this with other industries there was a period in um you know just anecdotally like like when i was you know 20 years ago or however long when i was um in undergrad um you know a lot of people wanted to go into finance and banking and yeah. you know and and then there was a downfall there and there was you know it's not seen as this like warm fuzzy
0: you know wonderful no, people place hated wall street yeah
1: so big time yeah
0: and People forget. People hated Microsoft. They were considered yep. the Borg. Exactly. They literally the would call them. <laughs> no, Microsoft is considered the Borg because oh. they beat WordPerfect and Lotus One Two Three and put it yeah. into their operating system the same way Facebook is putting, yeah. s- copying Snapchat. Exactly. Hey, listen, Christine. I know that you've been heads down, working really hard uh, to build the 500 startups brand, uh, and I know you had a uh, some a rough patch there that you had to work through. But I just want to say, just investor to investor, I commend you on the effort. Mm. And uh, I think you're awesome for having done that and not mm-hmm. doing what I would have done, which is I would have hit the, I would have just been out of there in two seconds. I would have looked like, enough You did the hard work. You deserve that credit. Um, and I think all the companies inside of 500 Startups probably really deserve to give you a high five uh, yeah, for, for doing that hard work and not giving up. 500 yeah, is a great program. If you want to join, go to 500.co slash startups. Uh, and... What in Portfolio, Intercom, Twilio, SendGrid, Credit Karma, Talkdesk, Revolution, GitLab, Bulapak. I don't know what that is. Oh, Bukalapak. It's an Indonesian company. Oh It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Grab and Canva. Hmm. I'm trying to get the Canva CEO to speak at Launch Festival Sydney, but she's so busy. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Listen, this has been great. Uh, You can follow Christine, Christine underscore TSAI. And uh, again, 500.co classes going on in apparently 20 different cities around the world so apply mm-hmm. to one of the programs you got a favorite city in the family that you like to go to which program's no. doing the best has the most success i'll make it easy for you because oh. i know you want to pick one of your favorite 20 kids yeah which hard, one has to... the objective best returns to date best portfolio of your fund oh, of the funds oh i that's just objective i, I could find out by tweeting so you could tell me or i just tweet who's the best like one of them I just has a big issue. You can't do it. <laughs> well,
1: they're they're all different. They're you know different yeah, different, you know, different stages. stages. I'm going to give the
0: typical. Like they're they're all great. But. They're all great. All my kids are great, except, <laughs> yeah. except including the one who dropped out, and is taking yoga classes He's in Costa Rica. Too. They're great. They're going to be a yoga teacher. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh my god! I just said that and I just realized. Oh, yeah, sorry. I being a yoga teacher is an amazing thing to do. Yes, it is. <laughs> I just I know I just read the story that yoga teaching is a scam. Really? Oh. So what well. they do is they get people who are into yoga and one of these companies was in the New York Times, they yeah. say, When are you gonna do teacher training? You know, you'd be a great teacher, you should teach training, you can do teach training, teach training? Uh, How about teacher training? And then they pay fifteen hundred to go to teacher training and then five hundred for one on one and they, they spend a couple right. thousand dollars on teacher training and they never become a teacher. Oh no. <laughs> and it's just a way for the yoga studios to just take whatever two oh. percent of their most, you know, Oof. best people and say, Go through training. Interesting. Wow. It's a tangent. Uh, but people like the podcast because of that. Thank you, Emmy Watering, producer Jackie. Thank you to Sir Charles, our director. Thank you to our amazing partners for making Angels Season 3 possible. Go ahead and visit their websites and thank them on the Twitter. We'll see you all next time on Angel Podcast. <music>